hand over to Johan. I'd like to just read uh, the scripture for tonight for us. So if you have your Bibles, um, you're welcome to open it with me um, in Genesis 28 and in John 1. So John 1, verses 35 to 51. The next day, again John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of, of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Jesus saw Nathanael coming towards him and said to him, Behold, an Israel, Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered him, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then in Genesis 28 verses 1, I mean 10, verses 10 to 17. Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night, because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abram, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed, 
Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Thanks, Anna. So, uh, I know what you guys are thinking. Why is he wearing trousers? And, um, and it's a new year, and I can do something new, right? So, uh, if, if Henning can pull it off, the, the, the slops with trousers, then, then so can I. You know, who says you have to be young and attractive to, to do this? Um, and the washing machine is broken, and all my shorts are pretty much there. So that's, that's the main reason. Um, thanks for this little feature. I like this. Um, I, uh, whilst, whilst we are on the, the New Year's topic, do you guys do New Year's resolutions? Is that, a, is that a thing for some of you? Like you make a list or two and you try and do something new. Um, all those who are against it and don't do it, hands up. Those who do it, who are sort of, those are in between us. Okay, okay, okay. So, look, um, it doesn't work. Those of you who put your hands up, it, 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 it seldom does, right? So, um, but I'm glad that you got that gym membership. I think it's a good idea. The, the fact of the matter is that it is sort of a reset time of the year, isn't it? It is a bit of a, a new start. And I think we can exploit that you know, season of, of trying to make new commitments, trying to uh, set yourself new goals. And we can use it spiritually as well. And, and that's what I want to do uh, this evening. Now, we, we see two, uh, two words, uh, or, or at, at least a, a phrase, used again and again in the, the John uh, passage, and that is, come and see. Come and see. Now, I, I, want to, I want to use that, this come and see, and I also want to use the skeptical Nathaniel. Nathaniel doesn't want to, he's not having any of it. Can anything good come from Nazareth, right? Um, I want to use that as a springboard to say that if, if you are in a skeptical place, if you are, um, I, I think we are all a skeptic to one degree or the other, right, maybe people online, I don't know, then I think this phrase is very, very important, and that is, come and see. Come and see. Inasmuch as you're doing New Year's resolutions, maybe by some miracle you are you know, listening to this podcast, I, I want to say, come and see. Really have a look at Jesus. This this weekend, I've been in a WhatsApp conversation with a, with a skeptic lady, and, and she's sending me quotes by a a scholar called Bart Ehrman. He's sort of um, almost the the poster boy skeptic for for, for New Testament scholarship. And and she's continuing saying, yeah, this is what Ehrman says. And and at one point I told her, come on, you can do better than that. Like, get a better skeptic. And I I don't want to be condescending and and rude, 
But I, I really do think that if you reject Jesus based on a straw man type thing, then you haven't, you haven't seen him. You haven't come yet, right? You have to do a little bit better than that. So Ehrman and many others obviously challenged the historicity of, uh, of, of the Gospels and, 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 and much more. And I just want to briefly look at this and in, in this passage. There are many marks of historicity in this little passage that we just read from, from the Gospel according to John. Um, I, I'm not sure if you, uh, if you picked up on it, but in the, is it the 59th verse, we, we read, and they told and they followed Jesus, it was about the 10th hour, okay? Now, that sort of old way of saying 4 p.m. Now, that is not a way that the ancients, that is not a way the ancients spoke. That's not how they wrote, okay? That is definitely not something that you're going to put in, that little bit of, of irrelevant detail, if you are making up a, a story. Nowhere in the Iliad do you read, and Hercules slayed the dragon. It was about half past three. You know, you, you don't get that type of language in, in myth. It is something that is a little bit irrelevant to the story. It is a little bit clumsy even, but it is the mark of history. I know we write stories that way today. In the ancient world, they didn't. So, so there's already something historical that we are encountering in, in, this, in this passage. And if we really come and see Jesus, we need to pick up on these things but I want to push it a little bit further. In the John passage, we also encounter this very strange interaction between Jesus and Nathanael under the fig tree in verse 48 and 49. It says, uh, he came to him and he said, you are Nathanael and I saw you under the fig tree. And then all of a sudden, he is super excited. And Nathanael, oh, you are the son of God. But it is super unresolved. Like, Sometimes I will, uh, I will go to, let's say, Emmy. I say, hey, Emmy, I saw you in the spa the other day. No, she hasn't come to me yet and said, surely you are the son of God. You know, uh, I've never had that response. I mean, someday, you know, but uh, it, it is so weird that a random event, like I saw you under the fig tree, gets this response. Do you guys agree that there's a hole in this story? Why is it there? Well, maybe, maybe the fig tree symbolizes something. Maybe it's a hyperlink. Maybe uh, John is whispering something in our ear. And I looked and I looked. And you know what it is? We don't know. <laughs> That's what it is. We don't know. What's the, what's the significance? You can push something in there, but I don't think the text is, is doing that. We don't know. It found its way into the gospel because it made such a profound impact on Nathaniel and, and his eyewitness account made it into the gospel of John. There's no other way to explain it. You don't have a massive hole in the story like that if you are writing myth. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Uh, you know, the fact that we know about Jesus as a child and then we know about him as an adult, but for the better part of 30 years of his life, we don't know anything about him. If this is God in the flesh and we are making up this story, 
then you are going to tell us what he did on his 21st birthday. You know, we, you, you are going to color, you're going to give details. And many of these Gnostic uh, or apocryphal gospels try to give us details about the sort of teenage Jesus and young adult Jesus. But it's so obviously nonsense. You, if you compare it to the synoptic gospels and to John, you can see it doesn't fit. It's silly, all right? So I'm, I'm, I'm just using that to say, if you're skeptical like Nathaniel, I think there's something good in skepticism as well. But be a responsible skeptic. And that is, don't deal with the straw man. If you Google five reasons why Christianity is fake, you know what's going to happen? You're going to find five reasons why Christianity is fake. If you're looking for some sort of straw man and you do something on the internet, uh, don't be surprised if it affirms your skepticism. But if you are a responsible skeptic, then I want to invite you to really come and see Jesus, all right? Having said that, I want to say, I want to state that encountering God is really just an act of the mind. It is, it, it, it is that for, for many people, and most of them are here, you know, in this little building, but but it, it is not even for us the, the primary way in which we can encounter God. Um, most of the time, we encounter God not, f- not, not, not with an inquisitive mind, but with a broken heart. Not with an inquisitive mind, but mm-hmm. with a broken heart. And that's why we read the Genesis 28 passage. So we read the story of Jacob, and we just caught this famous story of Jacob's dream, Jacob's ladder, and, and that story is directly after Jacob deceiving his father, deceiving his mother. His name means Jacob, so I mean, what, what else did you expect? I mean, his, his, his name, Jacob, means deceiver, so it's, it's par for the course. Uh, and we catch him at a point where he's running away from his family, everything that he knows and holds dear, because his brother wants to kill him, and it's just a mess. This guy's life is just, one can say, on the rocks. And that's why perhaps he is sleeping on a rock. Um, it was a forced pun, it didn't work. But the, the, what, 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 what we read is this interesting detail to say he used the rock as, as a pillow. And this is symbolic, and it's not difficult to figure it out. His life is difficult. Um, a rock as a pillow is as uncomfortable as it sounds, okay? You guys can try it tonight, but it is symbolic of, of, of the fact that at this moment, Jacob is, is going through something traumatic. This is a low point in his life. And you know what happens there at this low point in his life? The heavens open. Angels appear, meaning he, he looks, he says, surely God is in this place. This is the house of God. Can you believe it? How interesting that when Jacob declares that this is the house of God, I, I encountered God in such a very real way. We do not read in scripture, at least not in my translation. And Jacob finally got the woman of his dreams, Rachel, and the, the, the doors of heaven opened. You know, do we, do we find that in scripture? Or Rachel was very, very rich. Um, he got lots of money and the doors of heaven opened. Do we read that? No. 
when he is at his lowest moment, and it's a moment that was of his own doing, that is when he encounters God. And friends, this is true for most characters in Scripture. Elijah, such an interesting guy. We read about him in, in First Kings. And at one point, he hears the still voice of God. And we've reflected on that passage many times. You know, God came in the wind, but, but there was a massive wind, but he didn't hear God. Um, there was a rushing, there was a fire, he didn't hear God. And then the still voice, he heard God. And one can use that, and I think legitimately, to talk about contemplation, to talk about becoming still. But right before that, he is being chased by, by Jezebel. She wants his head. He's in the desert, and he prays to God. He sits under a tree. <laughs> he sits under a tree, and he says, uh, God, please, can I die? That's what he says. And at that moment, what happens? The doors of heaven open, and he hears God's voice. The same is true for Jacob. And then, those of you who paid attention, the two passages that Anna read are talking to each other. Again, that John passage is super random, right? Saw you, Nathaniel, under the fig tree. You are the son of God. And he says, oh, you're impressed that I saw you under the fig tree. You will see, you know, the gates of heaven open and uh, angels descending and ascending on the son of man. It's, it's, it's quite bizarre, but it's trying to remind us of a story in the Old Testament. Notice what, what John tells us Jesus said the first time he sees Nathanael. Here is an Israelite without deceit. Why is that significant? Who else in the Old Testament was called Israel? Jacob. What was his primary modus operandi? Deceiving people. Okay, and then eventually he meets his uncle Laban and he's met his match and, and Laban deceives him and, and it's, it's, it's comical and tragic at the same time. But you've got this deceiver Jacob and now Jesus sees Nathaniel and he says, ah, here's an Israelite without deceit. Here's a new kind of Jacob. What's going on here? And then, that's the, that's the first link, the second hyperlink, okay, to to Genesis 28, is the, 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 the reference to the ladder and the descending and ascending angels. Now, we can speculate what happened with Nathaniel under the fig tree. We can only speculate. We cannot know. I don't think you guys can try and figure out what's the symbolism of the fig tree. I, I don't think you're going to find anything. The Chosen, the series The Chosen, whom of you have, have watched The Chosen? A few of you guys have been chosen to watch it. And, uh, and, and there, they take many liberties, but they take liberties with this story as well. And I think in such a wonderful way, how they portray Nathaniel is that he's an architect and his building collapsed. I think I've got it correctly. And he was so depressed, he wanted to build the synagogue to the glory of God. This was his life work. This was his only project. And he's crying out to God under a fig tree and saying, answer me, see me, see me in my distress. And then just nothing. And, he's just, and he just gives it all up. He says, this is nothing, this is stupid. And he walks away. And then when Jesus sees him, he says, I saw you under the fig tree. And it's in that moment, it's well done. Guys, this, the Chosen doesn't suck like other Christian movies. You guys can really go, go have a look. 
um, I was super skeptical for a number of reasons. I mean, the place that you stream it from is called Angel Studios, but it's proper, I can assure you. All right? And, 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 and this guy is going through intense trauma, and then Jesus just says, I saw you under the fig tree, and that's enough for him to believe. He just says, I believe you. I don't think, Nathaniel was, I think he was maybe even a bit of a cynic, you know, that line, can anything good come from Nazareth? I don't think he would have been easily pleased, right? He wouldn't have, I saw you in the spot. Oh, you've got, you know, the gift. No, 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 no. Something very personal and very potentially traumatic happened. And it changed his life. And he was sold and he became a follower of Jesus. Here's the point that I want to make. Let's say that that assumption is correct then it's true for Nathaniel as well that when the heavens, when the doors of heaven opened, it was not when his, his architect business was a success, and I mean that's just a big guess and speculation from the chosen guys. It wasn't when he was at the height of his, of his powers, right? He saw the heavens open. He saw the Son of God. That revelation came to him in a dark moment. This is consistently how God works up and down the centuries, up and down scripture. What's the implication for us? Well, I think it's obvious, guys. Some of us are going through something traumatic right now. Some of us are struggling. Some of us have struggled with, with things. And if you reflect on that spiritually, you will know that in those times you were closest to God. And if you are hurting at the moment, I want to encourage you to take that pain and that suffering and give it to God. What's so beautiful about this little uh, clip in The Chosen is that Nathaniel is not holding anything back. I mean, he's not swearing. I don't think The Chosen wants to go there. But he's, he's, he's on the verge. You know, he's very upset. He's like, oh, you, you, you know where. You don't pitch up. He's, he's really giving it to God. Take that emotion and that trauma to God. And... And I, I want to say that more often than not, people really encounter God in those places. It, it makes sense of so much, right? Um, salvation was achieved and is received through humbling. What I mean by that is, this, this big revelation, the greatest revelation that ever came to us was Jesus Christ himself. And how did that come to us? First of all, he humbles himself in, into the pathetic form of a baby. He's in a poor family. Uh, eventually, he, uh, he, he, he identifies and associates with the lowly. And he dies on an instrument of torture. Those are not places that you will expect revelation, Right? But that is where the biggest revelation of all time, Christians believe, happened. Why do you think it will be different for you and me? Why, if revelation happened in such unexpected and often painful places, do we expect uh, it to be different for us? But I want to stress as well that, that we do not just find God in humble places sort of emotionally, but also geographically. 
And that's where the line comes, can anything good come from Nazareth? Okay. Now we know something of Nathaniel. John gave us a clue later on in his, in his gospel that Nathaniel is from Cana. Now Cana is right next to Nazareth. So these, this was sort of a rival, they were rival towns. Even today, if you go to Nazareth, you just drive up the hill and then you're going to be in Cana. And I can assure you, it doesn't look much better. I'm not sure what it looks like, what it looked like back, back then, but it's Upper Galilee. I, I'm not sure Cana would have been, you know, this place of boutique hotels and, you know, caviar eating street cafes. Um, so, so when Nathaniel says, can anything good from Naz- come from Nazareth, it's a little bit like uh, the Boksberg calling the Brakpan black. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm not sold. So you've got this little small town rivalry, but in this message, there is something profound. And that is that these are the places, like he, 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 can, he cannot ex- he, he, he does not expect God to reveal himself from a place like Nazareth. That is true for us to this day. Why? Because broken and humble people often live in broken and humble places. And they have a unique access to God. We can expect revelation from places like Nazareth and the South African equivalents of that. And I think God tells us to go and help the needy not just because they need help, but because we need help. <laughs> so when we go and help these guys, God is giving us that gift. It, but it's, it's us receiving the gift. I can vividly remember, and I've got so many examples, but I can vividly remember in Varsity, our hostel had this, this uh, um, sort of outreach project, and it was my job to do something, and, and I organized a trip for these poor kids from Ikaheng, the local township, um, to go to Batplos, okay? Didn't have a lot of money, and maybe I wasn't as good as, as, as I promised, and I, we took them to Batplos. And I remember driving in, trying to find the kids in the township, and those of you who know anything about a township, trying to find an address in a township is, is impossible, right? I mean, that is, it is, it's super difficult. And uh, eventually, I just see a commotion. I just see a crowd on, uh, up the road, and I think maybe we'll have some luck. Maybe we'll find the, the girl that we need to pick up there. And when we got there, there was this, th- this line of people, almost like a tunnel, and at the bottom of the tunnel, you saw this little girl with her bag and just sort of uh, skipping up and down. She's super excited. And we walk in there, and it's this Euro's welcome, and it's, it's quite bizarre. And I'm invited in to the shack, uh, to, for, for some hospitality and um, there I'm sitting on a drum or something and eventually the grandfather comes to me this old old man like from a storybook and he just thanks me and thanks me and I, I wanted to say I'm, I'm, Sir Butlos it's really not that great I'm going to show you photos like you are thanking me way too much I, I'm not giving this child a scholarship to Yale we are, we're going to be back in a few days um, and he's just, oh, thank you so much. And he pulls me to the side and he opens my hand and with his, his old, old hands, he drops 25 rand worth of coins in my hand. And he says, um, this is just my contribution, maybe just for some food, um, if you can just buy us some food as well. So I say, 
So I, I can assure you, everything is paid for. We don't have, we don't need to, you don't have to worry about that. Like, you can really have this back. And he insisted, no, you must take this money. And I took it and I bought cigarettes. But no, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, I, I remember thinking, how on earth can 25 rand even buy food for a child for four or five days? Like, uh, I, and, and I realized that it was a massive sacrifice and it was a massive gift from this guy. But, but even the fact that that is supposed to feed a young kid was beyond me. And uh, we wanted to go again and... Uh, and then it wasn't time yet to go. We had to pray. And they were laying hands on me. They were laying hands on this child for our safety. Um, and uh, yeah, I, like, I didn't even want to go to Butt Plus. I just wanted to stay there. And eventually we took and we, we came back. And again, they were super grateful. And I'm not sure that little girl was changed by you know, that you know, project of ours. But I was. I can remember it vividly. It, it haunts me in the most beautiful way. And for a moment, that morning in Ikacheng, the, the heavens opened. And I was skeptical in my faith many times after that. But it was experiences like that that would always cause me to hesitate. Somehow I just really felt God's presence in Ikacheng that, that, that morning. All right. Um, there's a Canadian musician who, two years ago, his, his name is Jonathan Steingard. Apparently, he played in uh, a gospel band. I, I don't know anything about it. And he revealed that he no longer believes in God. And uh, he cited the problem of evil as the main reason why he cannot believe in God anymore. And this was sort of, you know, a, a, a bit of... There was a bit of a media sensation because, you know, famous Christian loses his faith type of thing. And I don't want to trivialize his suffering. I don't want to trivialize his experience. But I cannot help but think that the people who are experiencing the most suffering, who are not experiencing suffering remotely, are not having any trouble relating to God. And... And this guy, perhaps experiencing the suffering via CNN or whatever, for him, it's a deal breaker. And it's almost as if, it's, it's almost as if those who sleep on rocks tend to dream of God. I'm trying to be a bit poetic there. But the fact of the matter is, those who who, 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 who do not sleep as comfortable, they, they, they dream of God, whilst those who, who sleep on soft Canadian pillows, they have secular dreams. Um, and and I, I, I mean, I, I don't have to, it sounds condescending, I don't know this guy from a bar of soap, right? But I've seen this over and over again. The people who lose their faith because of situations that people in other parts of the world find themselves in, those people, experiencing the suffering didn't get the memo. They didn't get the memo that they need to lose their faith. As a matter of fact, they have a very real and vibrant relationship with God. It's because more often than not, that is where the heavens of, where, where, the, where the gates of heaven open. The last point I want to make that comes from this, uh, 
this passage, the John one especially, is that, is that if we want to encounter God, we must do so in an ever-expanding community. If we want to encounter God, we must do so in an ever-expanding community. So there are multiple links to Genesis 28 and John 1, but I think the primary connection is this. Jacob, he stands as a metaphor for Israel. His name was changed to Israel. So he represents the people of Israel. And in Genesis 28, in, in verse 14, you've got this uh, repeated blessing, which is that, and, and, and you and your offspring shall all, through you and your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. It's the same promise that was given to Abraham. And we read in the story of Israel that instead of blessing the nations, they are they are holding on to God and his revelation, and they are seeing it as their ethnic privilege. They are seeing God and his revelation as theirs. They are not sharing it. And over and over, you see them holding on to it, and instead of blessing the nations, they either fight with the nations, they either assimilate with them, they plot revenge, they exclude, or they oppress the nations. But they are not taking this massive gift that has been given to them and sharing it with people. They didn't take the light out. So I want you to notice what's happening now in John. You, you see, first of all, here's a guy called Nathaniel, an Israelite without deceit. Then you see Jesus calling the disciples and eventually their total will amount to 12, which is representative of the 12 tribes of Israel. And what is happening there in that beginning of John and actually right through the scriptures? There's this energy. Um, Andrew tells Peter, come and see. Philip tells Nathaniel, come and see. There's this energy of the one telling the other, telling the other, and more people are coming on board. Can you see what John is trying to tell us? Through this act of Jesus calling the 12 disciples and this movement that he is bringing, he is finally fulfilling the promise that was made to Abraham and to Jacob. The vocation that Israel failed in is finally being fulfilled through this new Israel called the church that Jesus Jesus is starting. Does that make sense? Now, the important thing that we need to know here is is this. That in some strange way, and this is just, uh, I call it spiritual physics, um, but it's it's not really a thing. But in some sort of strange way, in the spiritual life, you, you cannot hold on to something. It loses its worth in as much as you hold on to something. But the, the more you are willing to give it away, the more it grows. And I think that's what, what it means when Jesus says those who lose their life will find themselves. Um, it, it, it sort of plays with this same theme. Here, Andrew discovers Jesus. It's amazing. He's this miracle worker. And, and I think the temptation could be that you want to hold on to that. 
but he, he, he doesn't, no, 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 I must share this, this gift, this, this, um, this person. I need to share it with everyone. And he tries and collect people. And, and, th and that's the rest of the story of the Gospels, right? Is, and, and Acts eventually, is people sharing this, this message. And, you know, it's, it's a bit like, those of you who had a bit of a holiday, went to the, to the career maybe, um, if you, see, if you see a lion, then you want to show the, the rest of the people in the car where the lion is, okay? And, and once you've done that, you are kind of excited to show the car that is pulling up behind you. Can you see the lion? Or maybe a leopard, maybe that is more exciting. Can you see the leopard? Just look left and right and, you know, tree, I don't know. And uh, can you see the roibok? Just everywhere. Uh, you, you, want to, you want to bring people in. Uh, you want to share that. Some of you... Uh, we're at places with a wonderful sunset. And if somebody's watching television, what do you do? You tell them, no, you must come and see the sunset now. It's beautiful. I want to, I want to draw you in to, to what we are experiencing. The same is true with, with Jesus and this good news. As it must be given. It must be given away. We, we, we also see in this John passage that Jesus is is not just calling us to remain spectators. We need to become followers very quickly. So these people do, at one point, it's come and see, and that's why I invite many of those of you who are skeptic to see, to watch, to have a look, to have a proper look, and that's fine. But at one point, you cannot remain a spectator. You have to follow Jesus. And there's this wonderful line that the disciples asked Jesus at one point. They, Jesus says, follow me, and then he's, they ask him, where are you staying? That, it, it sounds, again, a little bit strange to us. But if they were just spectators, they would have said, and, they, and Jesus invited them to follow him, and then they said, when are you preaching again? I might come and have a listen. That, that is a bit of distance, but that is not what they're saying. Where are you staying? Is We're in. It's utter and complete devotion. It is intimate. And that is what we are called to to leave these things behind and following and, and, and follow him without any reservations. I want to summarize, friends, by, by, by just saying that firstly, we need to come and see, and that means that you must be a responsible skeptic in as much as you consider yourself to be one. Don't engage with straw men or internet blogs or whatever. Really come and see Jesus for yourself. The second one, the second point is this. You can expect to encounter him in the difficult times. More often than not, when you are at your lowest, that is when the gates of heaven tend to open. So explore those places. Take that trauma and that suffering to him. Maybe some of you are not experiencing that. Well, you are invited to identify with those who do because it is by identifying with them that we often see the gates of heaven open. And lastly, we are the new Israel. We are the church. And we need to take the good news out and we need to invite people in. That might sound strange to us today. You know, we, we're very careful of anything that you know, sounds like evangelism or whatever. But let me just say this, that this community dialogue cannot exist for itself. I, I know that we've, for, for, for me, people who, who came to church are now 
some of my best friends. And, and you know, I don't, really, I don't really get to choose whether I want to hang out with you on Sundays. But what I've, what I've found is that when I have my, my own, when, when, when left to my own devices, I often want to hang out with these guys. So it's become a bit of a social circle. And that can be dangerous. That can be very dangerous because we do not exist for ourselves. Dialogue cannot be a place where you can go on the odd hike and hang out with people and I don't know what it is that we do, talk about rugby, I mean, I, I wish. But um, it, it, it cannot be just this social club. It must be a place where, where we are always giving this community away to people. The community that you would have, the little social, you will very quickly sacrifice it um, to go and talk to Daniel who's standing awkwardly by the door and nobody wants to talk to him for some reason, you know. Um, and any, any odd stranger that comes in here, it is not easy to, 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 to take the courage to come to a new place um, and, you know, to, especially in a place like Dialogue where you cannot necessarily be anonymous, you know, it's very difficult to disappear. It takes courage. And our responsibility is to get something of our vocation, which is you get up and you serve that person. You give community or the, the lovely conversation that you were having with a friend that you had a conversation with yesterday. You give it away in service of bringing other people in. Because somehow we get more of Jesus, the gates of heaven open, in the measure that we give this church away. Does that make sense? Let's pray. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we thank you for this wonderful, the wonderful revelation where, where the gates of heaven opened and, and you, we, you, you came out, Lord, and we saw, we saw the beauty of, of your life and the beauty of the cross and the glory of the resurrection. Lord, help us to not just sentimentalize those things, but also try and seek you by imitating that. Um, Lord, we, I first want to pray, Lord, for those of us who are maybe not sure whether we, we want to follow you, whether you are real. I pray, Lord, that you will now reveal yourself to to those people or those of us really make your presence known to us it is our prayer this evening lord that we will also get get into the habit of of healthy habits in the sense that we we do things and move ourselves into places where we can experience you we pray for that lord i pray that this community will be a place where the gates of heaven open, where we are selfless with this community, where we are just always willing to give it away and to, um, to serve other people and to bring other people in. And that we will not just be a, a social club, but that we will be zealous about trying to follow you by trying to live the life of the kingdom and inviting others in to do so as well. It is our prayer, Lord, this evening, that as a community and many other people out there, Lord, who, are, uh, who do not know you, who do not follow you, it is our prayer, Lord, that we will have deep, 
intimacy and a deep experience of you this, this year. And given our sermon this evening, Lord, that is actually a very dangerous prayer. But we pray that nonetheless. We want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.